glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, Third John. Let's just go ahead and read the uh, the last couple of verses here. Go ahead and stand with me if you would, out of respect for God's word. Third John, and uh, let's let's read verse twelve. Just kind of review what we, just to hear of a review of what we looked at last time, but our emphasis tonight is on uh, verses 13 and 14. So verse 12, Demetrius hath a good report of all men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and ye know that our record is true. I had many things to write, but I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. Thank you. you may be seated. I want to, before I get into the, the heart of this lesson and message tonight, I want to emphasize the theme in Third John. And I believe it's something that we are, we are wise to take heed to, and that is that theme of testimony, of loyalty to the truth, of having a transparency. I find it very interesting. We looked last week at the concept of a good name. People would say someone has a good reputation. God's term is a good name. When people hear your name, they think of something. Some some characteristic comes to mind. Uh, Those who know us best know best what our name represents. Uh, So when someone's name comes up, you either have a... It either brings about a bad connotation with that or a good one. And as Christians, our name should be a good name. Even people who don't like us should know they can trust us. We should be faithful and loyal to the truth. And that's how we establish a good name. We looked at that last week. But it's interesting that in this text, the last thing that John says is greet the friends by name. He's making a tremendous emphasis on names. He names Gaius by name. He names Diotrephes by name. He names Demetrius by name. And then he says greet the friends by name. John knew the names of the people he was ministering to and he knew the kind of name they had. He knew what Gaius was, and when the name Gaius came up, John says, you know what, when your name comes up, people say you have, you have used charity, that you are faithful at what you're doing. Gaius had a name, and he had a good name among the brethren. Demetrius hath a good report of all men. But you know what, Diotrephes also had a name. When his name came up, immediately people said, oh, Diotrephes, he's the one that has to be most important. Got to have the focus and the attention and all of this. Like it or lump it, we all have a name like that. We have a good name or we have a bad name. We are known by our character, especially by those who know us best. And I believe John, as the elder, that's what he called himself, was very perceptive of who people were and what they were not, what their name, he knew them by name, and thereby he knew what their name stood for. And if uh, John the elder could see that and have that kind of spiritual discernment, how much more does our Lord? But the fact of the matter is, our name among each other and with each other matters greatly if we're going to be able to serve each other. In that, I think it's interesting as well then that he mentions to Gaius, I'll come and we'll speak face to face. Um, I'll say this from time to time, and I don't want this to be the focus of the message, but you'll hear other preachers talk about cowards with a keyboard. Have you ever heard that terminology? We have men today who have Twitter accounts. They're called anonymous accounts, so they have some weird name. And they're constantly typing things out and berating people and railing on people and disparaging people, but you don't know who they are. Uh, They've got some moniker that you cannot identify, meaning 
they won't stand by their content by their own. They don't even know who they really are. They can say, well, we fear retribution. We fear this. I believe this. Now, I'll say this because one of the points we have to deal with is that face-to-face meeting does have to do with accountability. That'll be the last thing we see. But one of the reasons we want to be anonymous or perhaps not speak face-to-face is if I have to speak to you face-to-face, then I've got to be ready for you to speak back. And often we want to say our peace and be done, whether it's we want to be heard or uh, whatever it may be. And what I find here is John says, I have more things, Gaius, to say to you. I have a lot more I want to say to you, but I want to say it in person. And I find just generally, I think it's very interesting how living the Word of God is. I heard a man say the other day, what God has said, God is saying. That's what it means, the Word of God, what God has said, God is saying. And if the Spirit of God found it important to put in our Bibles more than once, that, that leaders, elders in the faith, apostles said, you know, I could write to you what I'm about to say, but this is not something I can write. I must communicate with you in person, face to face. And I say that to say in our culture, more and more, we are moving away from that. We do not want accountability. We want to be able to form an image before men that is not consistent with reality. So, for instance, you can, and I think I mentioned this last week, but you can create a presence online. Do you realize with cameras and effects, we can make Bonner's Very Baptist Church look like a big old giant growing church. Well, that's, I mean, praise God, there's life in this church, but that's not who we are. Amen? Uh, and so you can do that. You can create an image. I'll never forget a, a business back in East Tennessee called Image Matters, meaning we'll make you look good. And I always heard it like we'll make you look better than you are. Uh, image matters. Well, reality is what matters. And here's what happens is we can at times hide behind communication that does not ever give on time, in present, momentary feedback, whether it is communicating affection or it is communicating accountability and john says there are more things i could write and things many things i need to say to you but i'm not going to do it with ink and pen i'm going to do it in person just for emphasizing the points so you understand where we're coming from and i think we all do look at second john okay second john we'll come back to this verse later he concluded second john very similarly as he wrote to the elect lady he said in verse 12 having many things to write unto you i would not write with paper and ink but I trust to come unto you and to speak face to face that our joy may be full. He said, the only way I'm going to get full joy out of what I need to say to you is to come and say it to you in person. And so, uh, again, very often I want, to, I want to speak this and preach this tonight in light of what our culture seems to be, especially the next generation, embracing as, as little as I have to communicate in person, I will. I find missionaries, I mean no unkindness whatsoever. Uh, I was talking to another missionary one time, and I see I got missionaries, they will email me a packet of information. It looks wonderful. They look like great people. And I'll email them back and say, give me a call, say in seven days, and we'll try to, you know, get you a meeting. And they don't call. And the fellow missionary, the other missionary said, how old are these people that won't call you? And inevitably, they are probably in their 20s, and he said, I think that's it. They don't know how to make a phone call. And he wasn't ridiculing when making fun. He said, there's just there's a generational issue right now with all of our technology of wanting to just almost be, um, almost want to be incognito. <laughs> you know, I want to say as little in person as possible. And, 
this matter face-to-face is something that's very important. And so I want to point out three things tonight that I believe the emphasis, just the emphasis, it's not a command, not a doctrine, but the emphasis on speaking face-to-face can remind us about some things that God does say, uh, some, some commandments He does give that I believe this matter of face-to-face communication uh, supports and helps us to, to obey and carry out. So uh, let's, let's go back Third John and read that again, verse 14. But I trust I shall shortly see thee, and we shall speak face-to-face. Peace be to thee, our friends. Salute thee. Greet the friends by name. When you look at the concept of speaking face-to-face, it does deal with speaking apparently or voicing uh, our heart and our mind in an apparent fashion, meaning communicating clearly, not being vague or ambiguous in communication. Let me show that to you, if I might. Go to Numbers chapter 12. So the idea of speaking to someone face-to-face, it doesn't mean that face-to-face communication is more clear than written communication. That's not what I'm saying, nor is that what God is saying. But there are times you need a face-to-face meeting to clearly articulate what you mean to someone in person so they can see. How many of you know that I, I, I had to go through a class one time. I worked uh, at the academies here, and they did a class on how to interact with students because these are troubled students, and they were talking about communication. They said 35%. I don't know where this study came from, but only 35% of communication is verbal, and there's a lot of truth in that. If I, um, if I say, and not only just verbal, we, we communicate in our verbiage, we have tone in our communication. So if I tell Colton, yeah, I love you, what did I just say to him? He says, well, what does that mean? I said, what do you think it means? I told you I love you. You hear a man and woman go at it like that? Yeah, honey, I love you. Honey, do you love me? Well, of course I love you. Why do you ask? Well, you don't ever say it. Well, I just did. You heard the words come out of my mouth. I love you. And what are you hearing? You're hearing the guy loves her or is he frustrated with her? Tone, tone. Now, you, you can come up and Colt and I can be standing here having a conversation. He says something like, uh, nice tie, Dad. And I go, Phew. I didn't say a word, but boy, I communicated. Right? I do it like this. Eh. You know, I communicated with our, our cat today. He was irritating me badly. I didn't say a word to him, but he got the point. I, I communicated to him without a word. We communicate non-verbally all the time. Do we not? We do. With a nod of a head, um, with with the look of an eye, it can be a communication of affection. It can be a communication of frustration. So the point would be this. There are some things that need, if we're going to speak clearly and communicate with one another plainly, there are some things that must be spoken in person. We cannot avoid that. And so God said this about communicating with Moses in Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. And I only want to use this verse. It is not really instructional because to us so much, but it demonstrates or defines what face-to-face communication is really all about. Numbers chapter 12. So this verse is really uh, a defining verse as to what this this means symbolically and figuratively when we say we're going to speak to someone face-to-face. Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 after that. So in verse 7, Numbers chapter 12, the Bible says, My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even, and what's the next word? Apparently, and not in dark speeches. Meaning God says, I'm not going to give Moses mysteries, secrets, or things hard to be understood. They're not going to be dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Uh, Wherefore, were they not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the term here is mouth to mouth, but it's the same idea 
as face to face. He's watching my mouth, I'm watching his mouth. And the idea is what this means when I say I'm going to speak face to face or mouth to mouth is I'm going to communicate apparently. I'm not going to leave vagaries. We're going to communicate very clearly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. I believe many times we, we are prone not to communicate clearly because we don't want to be held to what we believe or what we think. Perhaps we want to conceal our true feelings And God tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. I'll say this again. The idea of face-to-face communication, it requires courage, requires love, uh, requires all the things God commands to be in our character, requires practice, to be quite honest. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Again, this is all, these these two first two verses are just about defining that we speak of speaking face-to-face. We're talking about voicing apparently the communication of from one person to another. So voicing and, and communicating with clarity. That's what we're dealing with, communicating with clarity. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. It says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. It's used in the same way that God used the, the terminology in Numbers chapter 12. Now, I'm not going to communicate with dark sayings. He says, Now we look through, see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. Uh, the context, there's charity. The context is about the current revelation. They'll be, uh, we'll be able to see clearly one day more clearly. But the whole point would be that the word and the term face-to-face is dealing with clear communication of an idea, a thought, uh, 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 something that's on our heart or mind from one person to another person in person. One person to another person in person. May I say this? I preach on the radio and I preach in person. It is very different to preach face-to-face than it is face-to-microphone. In fact, if you ask me which do you prefer, I would say face-to-face. I can tell what's taking place. To not, I don't know what's going on in your mind, but I have a lot better read about how I'm communicating if I can see your face. There are sometimes I'm preaching and I back up. I say, well, let me let me state that again. You know why I do that? Because I'm watching your faces and it is abundantly clear I'm not clear. So let's try that again. If I couldn't see your face, I don't know that. You with me? If you couldn't see my face, I watched a message the other night. I didn't listen to it. I watched it on YouTube. A man I love to hear preach. And he was preaching. And he's a powerful preacher. I would tell people that. Powerful preacher. But had I not watched the service and watched how he was communicating to the people he was preaching to, he was preaching on how we respond to preaching. And as he did, he had yawners in the auditorium. You can see it, big church. People just kind of, no, no, no. So he said, you know, and he starts preaching on being indifferent toward the Word of God. And he stepped right on down to where the people were, and all of a sudden the entire atmosphere in that church changed because he began to take the Bible and preach to what they were doing with the Word of God at that moment. And you could feel the conviction in a video. As you watch his face, he was gracious, loving, kind, and bold. And you could sense in him, and you could watch in his face, I am seeing what is taking place here. There is a disregard for the Word of God, and he took hold of that and took the Word of God and began preaching, and all of a sudden the faces of the people changed. You're on radio. I'm not against preaching on the radio, but that's not the same. It's not the same. I'll be honest with you. You know what helps hold a preacher accountable? Preaching to faces. Speaking to faces. And there's something to that. And so I say this about men who exclusively 
have online or radio ministries? When have they ever looked in your face and ministered to you? There are men who are claiming to be internet pastors. There's no such thing. There's no such beast out there. You can be an internet preacher, but you cannot be an internet pastor. That's what I'm hearing from John. Gaius, I love you, and I'm going to write some things to you, but because I care about you, there are some things I have to look at you to say, including communication of his love for Gaius. We're not all, this is not all about rebuke or correction. Some of this is about communicating affection. You know, I, I would love to be on the phone with my wife and say, I love you, but I like it better when I can say it to her face. Amen? And so then uh, there's just, I believe this is something we, is, we really need to lay hold of. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter that, again, God makes an emphasis of, that if we are going to communicate clearly, voice with apparent uh, clarity what we're trying to say, there is need for face-to-face communication. Uh, I believe this applies in the church setting between pastor and, and, and church members, between brethren and brethren, between husband and wife, between children and parents. I'll be honest with you, when face-to-face communication begins to cease, you got problems in a relationship. When, it cannot be, when there cannot be communication face-to-face, something's broken, something's not, not correct. And so John is saying... I want to come speak face to face. This deals with voicing, apparently, with voicing clearly and with clarity a message from one person to another. Not being vague or or keeping a message hidden, but speaking face to face has to do with, it really, I guess what I'm trying to say, it has to do with honesty. Communicating honestly and clearly with one another. And so there are certain things you could say about another person when they're not around, but you wouldn't dream of saying it to their Ah, there is something to it, amen? There's just something to it. And I, I'll just tell you, our, our time needs reminder of this value. And so it speaks of voicing apparently uh, the, the, the things we need to communicate or we're speaking honestly and with transparency uh, because God said, we're not going to speak the dark sayings, but mouth to mouth. I'm going to make very clear what I'm going to say to Moses. I'll give you one more illustration. I walked up to order a coffee while we were down at the hospital my hearing's not wonderful, but I don't have bad hearing. The lady behind the counter took my order, and she said, what's your name? Now, inside the hospital, everybody has, to, has a mask on all the, all the whole time. I told her my name, and I forget what she guessed it was. I, I don't remember. So I tried it again. She said, oh, these masks. She said, I did not realize how much I read people's mouths until we got those on. My dad has said the same thing. He's deaf in one ear. And he said, I had no idea. I did not realize how many, many times I'm reading lips until I'm trying to talk to someone with a mask on. So when part of the face is, is concealed where you cannot see it, it affects what? Communication. There are some things that cannot be communicated in written form. They must be communicated person to person. They must be. And so I believe that's what John is saying here. Again, you'll find Paul saying it. You'll find others saying it. So it deals with, with clear communication, voicing things in an apparent fashion. Number two, meeting face-to-face deals with valuing assembly. Valuing assembly. You know what has to happen if you're going to be face-to-face? Two people have to be in the same place at the same time. Three people, four people, five people, how many ever it is. I want to remind us, and again, I believe the pandemic has has revealed a, a desire on part of people. You know what? If we could have the entire church experience without meeting with anybody face-to-face, that'd be okay. 
Say, well, isn't meaning, you know, through video the same? And by the way, where I'm all for having video, it is a blessing to many people many times. The moment that it becomes a replacement for face-to-face assembly, it's a problem. The moment that it becomes something, I meet people and they say, well, I met a man recently over in Libya and he said, we we go uh, to church on the internet. No, you don't. (laughs) You do not go to church on the internet. You hear preaching on the internet. You can donate money on the internet. Uh, You can hear singing on the internet, but you cannot assemble on the internet. You have to all come in one place to be able to see each other. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. So when John says, I'm looking forward to seeing you face to face, you know what he's assuming? There's going to be an assembly and he's going to be there. If it's just two assemblies, Jesus said where two or three are gathered together in my name. May I say this? Fellowship is enriched by personal interaction, face-to-face meeting, being able to see someone say, good evening, how are you? To see the smile on someone's face, to grasp their hand. God intends for humans to have that kind of fellowship. And the church, the word church means assembly, multiple people coming to see one another's face, be in the same place at the same time for the same purpose. Hebrews chapter 10, this has become quite an unpopular verse with many people who have more important things to do than meet with God's people. Uh, we've, we've seen a belittling and an undermining and a, a devaluing of local church in the last 20 to 30 years. Uh, it's always been around, but especially among people who claim not only to be Christians, they claim to be superior Christians, and they're superior because they don't need to be in church very much. That's wicked. They don't need church that very much. I'm able to walk with God, worship God in my living room. I worship God in the tree stand. I worship God on the bass boat. Good, you should, but it sounds to me like you're worshiping something other than God. One of the marks of being a brother is we love the brethren. And if I told my wife I love you, but I don't have time to meet with you, I'm sorry, I'm going to be gone on this trip, and I'm going to be gone on that trip, and I'm going to go over here. She says, you know, we've not sat down and had a meal together in eight months. So I love you deeply and dearly. Well, can we sit down and have a face-to-face meal? Well, no, I don't think that's important to maintain our relationship. We can talk on the phone and text. (laughs) No, that ain't going to cut it. The other evening between her going to the emergency room for her last little uh, procedure and going back up to get the baby and be with him, we were able to sit down and have a meal together. She sat on one side of the table. I sat on the other. That was delightful. <laughs> I hadn't had that in a few days. Uh, and sh- my point is, face-to-face, there is value in actually assembling, whether it is the church as a whole. May I say this? When you go to each other's houses, when you say, hey, can you come over? The Bible says use hospitality. You know what using hospitality is? Opening your home to let another person come into your home and share your home with you for a little bit so you can have a face-to-face meeting. Uh, the Bible says to be given to hospitality. For the pastor, we're to use hospitality. All that has to do with fellowshipping in person. And so when John says, I'm going to come and meet with you face to face, he is emphasizing the importance and the value of assembling with other Christians, whether it's the church as a whole or, uh, or, or less than that. And so then Hebrews chapter 10, of course, this is speaking of the assembly of the church. But the Bible says in verse 20, uh, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, here's a look at verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And so the, the, the underpinning of what he's about to say in verse 25 is we are to consider one another, not ourselves, 
I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. There's very few people uh, in our country today that would probably claim to be Christians have a lot of agreement with what's about to be said. But people are not quitting church out of love. No one. Not love for God and not love for other Christians. The reasons given for quitting church is, I have this to do. I'm too busy. I'm, it's just, you know, may I say this? People quit church for the same reason they quit praying and the same reason they quit reading their Bibles. I'm just so busy. Busy doing what? Well, I'm busy hunting. I'm busy fishing. I'm busy working my job. I'm busy taking care of family. And I understand there's a time you have to take care of family. If someone's ill, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I'm busy running hither and yon with family all the time. I don't have time for church. But the Bible says, let us consider one another. The underpinning of assembly and face-to-face meetings is consideration of one another. Most people look at a church and say, what am I looking for in a church? How is this church going to affect me? We need to be looking at, I'm a Christian. How, where is it I can be in a church where I can affect others to serve God? Now, you will be affected by it. Don't misunderstand. We need to make sure that the doctrine is sound and we're going to be fed the Word of God. But the fact is, assembling is about considering one another to provoke unto love and to good works. He says this, verse 25. So verse 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I've heard exegesis on this text to help us understand the day approaching there is not talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not insinuating we should assemble more as the return of Christ approaches. It's amazing to me when the Word of God gets clear on how it should affect our conduct, how we can exegete the Scriptures. Just amazing to me when it's so abundantly clear. I'm just simple. I'm like a little kid. I read Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and I hear, be sure you faithfully assemble with other Christians in church when your church assembles. That's what I hear. But I tell you, people that don't do that have a very different understanding of that text. Now, if your church assembles five times a week, be there. No, don't forsake. I'm not talking about some... Law, thou shalt attend church without ever missing for 23 and a half years. That's not what we're talking about. I mean, understand what forsake means. I abandon in my heart, and by the way, it starts incrementally. Very rarely does someone who's been faithful to assemble quit all assembly like that. They quit it right here a long time back. They either begrudge being in church and endure it and begrudge it, and then finally one day they say, I'm done. Or they say, well, I'm not going to assemble on this assembly, and I'm not going to assemble on this assembly. I believe this. When we have in our hand the power to make a choice that allows us to assemble, that's the choice we're supposed to make. Meaning this, I can choose a job that allows me to assemble, or I can choose a job that doesn't. Do we get to choose jobs in our country? Then I believe I'm responsible to choose the job that allows me to be faithful to the assembly. Because we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. What God is saying is assembling is so important. It's where you provoke one another to love and good. You know what I'm trying to use this message to do tonight? Provoke us to love each other and do good works. You know, going to church will not take you to heaven. It's a good work. But if you're on your way to heaven, you ought to do that good work. Amen? How many of you notice when certain people aren't here? I mean, no offense whatsoever. How many of you would be more encouraged if the same people that were here on Sunday morning were all here tonight? Wouldn't that enrich prayer meeting tonight? 
I mean, to take a little bit of life out of you because some of those folks could be and they're not here. I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not berating anybody. That is not what I'm doing. I'm just saying it has an impact. How many of you did church feel different on Sunday? Feel a little different on Sunday? Well, when people who are normally here are not here, it feels different. It takes a little life out of things. If some of you weren't here tonight, I'd be a little discouraged. I praise God for people that you know if they're not here, something's not right. They're sick, something's not right. Uh, because you're faithful to assemble. And that is a blessing to other people. Hearing your voices sing, hearing you pray, just saying good evening, how are you? For me as a pastor, getting to know how your week went, so I'm going to pray for you, how I can uh, think toward you, how God can direct me to, to minister to you. That all is part of what church is about, face-to-face assembly. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul, along with John, uses the same kind of terminology. It's not face-to-face. He talks about wanting to see the Thessalonians and see their face. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. What a statement. He said, you know, I'm writing to you, but what desire we have to see your face. We actually want to be in church with you. We want to see your face. It was a joy for me on Sunday. I got to visit Post Falls Baptist Church and just sit in their services, hear Brother Horn Street preach morning and night. He preached two very fundamentally doctrinal messages, very encouraging to sit there and to see that church. When I walked in the building, as soon as I walked in, I bet I had five or ten people because we know people down there were friends. Brother Nevin, good to see you. We're praying for you. We're praying for your wife. We're praying for your baby. My face allowed them to tell me, we're praying for you. Do you know what that meant to me? To know people that I don't, I couldn't have called their names. But they knew my name because their church had been praying for us. That's what face-to-face assembly does. We must not, in this virtual age, underestimate the value of local church assembly. And Paul says, I long with great desire to see your face. We already read 2 John 12 where John says, I have a lot of things to write to you, but nevertheless I'm going to come and speak to you face to face. Same thing Third John 14. And so the concept of face to face meeting, it, it speaks of, of clear communication with one another, articulating with clarity what we, what we need to say with one another so there's not vagary or misunderstanding. Face to face communication is necessary. Number two, It speaks of valuing assembly. And thirdly, of course, it does speak of virtuous accountability. Virtuous accountability. The the term face-to-face or speaking to someone to their face can deal with when there is a conflict between people, when there's a problem, we do not deal with it by backstabbing. We deal with it in person. May I say this, any local church that's going to be strong and maintain unity, the Bible says we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, we have to learn how to communicate person to person, including when we have problems. I don't know who all I've said it to recently. I think Jim and Jeff and I have talked about it. I think especially there's something that men used to be able to do. Men used to be able to sit down, bring up a subject. I remember when this occurred to me. I was a very young man in my 20s. And I had an older man, and we did not see something the same way, and it had, a, it had impact on both of our lives. And I thought, well, I've got to go talk to him. And I can be honest with you. I talked to him differently then than I would today. And that is not a good thing. <laughs> but we sat down and we talked. And he had one point of view, 
and I had another. We had it out. We didn't have a fight. We just had it out. Well, I think this. Well, I think this. This is what the Bible says. Well, but you did it. We got done. Love you. We still love each other greatly. No hard feelings. We, I don't think we probably still agree. It was not a point of separation. Okay, something we didn't see the same way. We had we had a disagreement. We aired our different points of view, and we're able to go on. And I, I can't say I've always been able to do that, but I remember it occurring to me: Hey, you can actually disagree with someone, talk the thing out, and end up still being friends. Right? How many of you know that in later in Peter's life, he commended Paul's writings and called them scripture. After Paul rebuked him or withstood him to face. Most Christians today can't even take an ounce of that. And these are two very mature men. I understand immature Christians, you can't expect that. I understand that. But mature Christians should be able to, with one another, say, you know, I don't believe that's right. Here's, you know, here's what the Bible says. Here's what we know to be true. So go to Galatians chapter 2 and let's look at the context of this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul probably thrown out of most churches today as a roughneck, <laughs> along with the Apostle James. Galatians chapter 2. And I'm not encouraging being a roughneck. I don't mean that. We're not to strive. We're to be gentle unto all men. How many of us believe that when Paul withstood Peter to the face, he came up and said, Peter, you're an absolute stinking hypocrite. I doubt it. <laughs> I think what he meant is, I went and told him what I need, th- thought he needed to hear in person. I didn't call him names. That's not what we're talking about. But instead of going around and telling everybody else, I saw Peter refusing to eat with Gentiles. That stinking hypocrite. Can you imagine Paul pulling Silas years later? Yeah, I don't have much to do with the Apostle Peter. I don't think much of him because one time I saw him and he was eating with the Gentiles until the James and the Jews showed up. And when they did, he was so afraid of what they thought of him, he got over here and acted like he was some, some, you know, somehow still separate from the Gentiles. What a hypocrite Peter is. I wouldn't hear him preach. I wouldn't cross the street and hear that man preach. Someone said, would you ever go talk to Peter about that? No. I remember one time years ago, uh, a lady came, and, and I'll, I'll speak what I do by the end to her credit. She was speaking of the church she came from and said, I got this problem with my pastor and the former pastor. Well, if you're the new pastor, you couldn't, you, you know, there's a temptation. Well, I'll never treat you that way. And the Spirit of God dealt with my heart. Say, ask her, have you spoken to him about this? So I did. I said, have you talked to him? And he's not a pastor of my stripe in any way, shape, or form. So have you talked to him about that? Well, no, I haven't, but I should. But I agree. I think before you move forward, you, sh- you should go tell him. And she did. She went and talked to him. She didn't go back to the church, but she went, to, to my knowledge, she went back and talked to him. My point is this. There are times we must speak to one another to provoke one another to love and to good works. May I say this? It takes a tremendous amount of love for another person to put yourself at risk and say something to them that is not promoting them, but corrective to them. It takes a tremendous amount of love to say, I'm willing to put my neck on the line, because here's what happens. If I tell Dawson, Dawson, now let's say he's not my son. He's kind of hamstrung when, when you're the kid, right? You're supposed to take rebuke. That's part of the relationship. But let's say we're two men, and I say, Dawson, there's something I've noticed in your life. 
We're talking back and forth, and, and you've been saying this, and it's not consistent. You're, 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 what you're saying is not consistent. Whatever it may be the case. You, you said this to me, and you didn't follow through with what you said you would pay on a deal. The moment I call out a fault in his life, what's his instinctive reaction? And how's he going to defend himself? He's going to call it fault in my life. So you know why often we don't do this? Because the same reason he doesn't want it is what I don't want. I, if I point out fault in you, you're going to point out a fault in me. And I don't want that. So the best thing to do is let's just all pretend we don't have faults. Ha! Huh? It'd be a lot better if we just confess our faults one to another. Somebody ought to put that in the Bible. <laughs> ah, it's not an easy thing to do, though, is it? It's easy to preach. It's not so easy to do. But it's still what's right. Galatians 2.11, the Bible says, and here's what was going on. Peter had already been told and knew that the Gentiles were saved the same way Jews were, and they did not have to change their dietary laws to be saved. Yet when the Jews and James came, the Bible says in, uh, let's just back up just a little bit in verse 9 of Galatians 2, and when James, Cephas, and John, says Peter, James, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Why? Because he was to be blamed, meaning he had done something wrong. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the, do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, so on and so forth. He says, I told Peter in front of everybody, you're, you're being hypocritical. If they're saved the same way we are, why are you treating them like they're not saved? You know what he's saying? I didn't conceal what needed to be said. I said it to his face. It doesn't mean he was mean or cruel. It means he was honest. And he held the truth at a greater, greater premium than his own comfort. He held the truth at a higher level of, of value than Peter liking him. The, the problem Peter had is Peter was more concerned about what those men thought of him than doing the right thing. And so in the face of criticism, he modified his behavior to make people happy. May I say this? We do this in our churches all the time now. We modify our preaching, modify our doctrine so that people will feel comfortable. And in the process of it, we are not faithfully presenting the gospel. And so then... To the face, it deals with virtuous accountability. You could look for your notes sake in Acts 25, 16. The Romans had a rule that you, someone was not to be condemned until they were able to face their accusers uh, face to face. Somebody accused you of a crime, as we do. You, you had your day in court. Yeah, you were to be given by law the opportunity to have your accuser to the face because someone can easily accuse you behind your back that would never do it to your face because they know that I'm being honest. And so the point would be when we're speaking, speaking face-to-face, it has to do with uh, communicating with clarity. It has to do with valuing the assembly. It has to do with virtuous accountability. 
May I say this? If we perceive in our lives, this is somewhere, something I'm not good at. I heard somebody say long ago, it was helpful to me, I don't even remember who was talking. Talking about leadership and leadership having to be involved in confrontation. I'll be honest with you, I don't like confrontation. I want things to go smoothly. You ask me just naturally how I feel, I want you to like me. Naturally, I do. The man said, and it was very comforting me, he said, all leaders must at some point in time confront, but if a leader loves confrontation, he's not fit to lead. And I agree with that. And I believe this, whether it's about leadership or just about fellowship, all of us at times need to say certain things. I believe this in marriage. This is one of the greatest deterrents to marriage right here, is two married people are not mature enough to sit down and speak openly and honestly to one another about one another and about the needs and the strains on their relationship. To be able to sit down and say, uh, if it's a husband who God has given headship and leadership to his wife, honey, this is a spiritual need I perceive in your life, for her to say and be able to have recourse and appeal that and two people to be able to communicate face-to-face in a form of accountability. And many times, two married people go on for all their life because they're supposed to you know, get some Hollywood idea about what love is. We're just never unhappy with each other or we're always unhappy with each other when what needs to happen is face-to-face, just some face-to-face communication. In the church, there are times someone's going to hurt you. They may not have meant to hurt you. They may have. You know what it's going to take? If thy brother trespass against thee, go tell somebody else right away. Go to him. Tell him his fault between thee and him alone. You know what that is? Face-to-face. That fixes so many problems. John says, there's more I want to say to you, but I don't think it's right. I'm not going to write it. I'm going to come say it face to face. Tonight, may we ask the Lord, help us to honor this principle. This, if thy brother trespass, go. If you remember your brother hath ought against you, go to him. Uh, Many times we're going to make whatever excuses so we don't have to have the face to face when in fact, that's the very medicine that would cure the problem at hand. A face to face meeting.